Welcome back to the Off of the Couch podcast. Maggie here. My guest today is Siobhan Huggins. After successfully losing weight and overcoming depression on a ketogenic diet, she's delved into the science of fats, lipids, and cholesterol and has become a a speaker at many of the keto and low-carb conferences. What really drew me to interview her was a story she posted on Twitter with photos of before, during, and after. She was a happy, active young child and then a very overweight teenager with severe depression. But, spoiler alert, there's a happy ending, though certainly she's been through plenty of ups and downs. She's had some struggles with lipedema and food allergies, which she goes into detail about. But I like that her curiosity really shines through. Here's Siobhan. All right. Well, thank you for joining me. So uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, good. I got a uh, new little microphone thing because I put my other one through the laundry. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's why I have a big bulky one and make sure I don't do that. Yeah, that would not happen. That's a good idea. So, um, all right. So I know you're very much in demand as a podcast speaker because you know so much about fats and lipids and cholesterol and all that. But um, what really touched me was your story on Twitter, your transformation story. And I wondered if you wouldn't mind going through the story to tell the listeners. Yes. So it's a bit of a funny, sad, happy (laughs) one uh, kind of timeline. Um, What basically happened, probably one of the first signs um, that I was not well was when I was somewhere between nine and 11 years old. Um, I started developing depression symptoms and that was also around the same time I started um, noticing that I was gaining weight as well. Um, And really the depression became full blown when I was about 11 and and that was not pleasant. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so I continued gaining weight. I had done a whole bunch of stuff even then, like reading back through my journals talking about um, cutting out desserts and restricting calories and stuff like that. Um, I tried picking up uh, running. And even when I was younger, I had actually been a very active child. I was in swimming classes. I was doing gymnastics all the time. I was jumping around and climbing trees and all that type of stuff. And it didn't really seem to help um, with the weight. And by the time I was 18, um, unfortunately, I weighed 240 pounds. Um, I had metabolic syndrome. And for reference, I'm five foot two. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, that was quite a lot on my frame. Um, I still was trying calorie restriction. Basically, every time I would try it, I would go down in calories again and again. So it started with um, 1200 calories. And then at one point, it was 800 calories eating things like uh, rice, <laughs> like sushi and stuff like that. Um, so basically very high carb, but I did try to stick more towards whole foods when I was going through those cycles. But 
the weight would eventually come back on and it would be unsustainable. And unfortunately, the other thing that that level of calorie restriction would do is it would actually exacerbate my depression symptoms and cause really bad mood swings and fatigue and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I would feel even worse (laughs) because the people around me would have to deal with that. Um, And I knew it wasn't right. Like I wasn't supposed to feel that way, but it like with depression, you can't talk yourself out of it. Like, Oh, this is illogical. I will feel better now. (laughs) Not really how it works. Um, and so let's see, it was at the end of 2016. So I think it was 2021 or something like that. Um, and I went into my mom's office and I was like, I'm going to try calorie restriction again, because clearly the previous times had worked wonderfully. So, but it's, (laughs) that's pretty much the only thing you're told is like, eat less and exercise more. So if it didn't work the previous times, maybe this time will be different. Um, and mom actually said, you know, instead of doing that, I've actually been looking into this thing called a ketogenic diet. Um, I believe she had been looking into it um, because of a concussion that she had. And there was some research on ketogenic diets for traumatic brain injury. Um, Mm. But she had also come across things about it regarding weight loss. And I was like, okay, I'll try it. Um, well, actually that's not true. I had originally said, this sounds like a fad diet, (laughs) basically, especially because she handed me like one of those magazines that you'll see like in the grocery store at the checkout aisle. And I was like, all right, that doesn't seem, she's like, just look into it. Um, so I did research into it online and it seemed like there was science backing it up. And then I was like, okay, I'll try it. And one of the things that kind of also pushed me towards that is that my mom is one of the smartest people I know. So she's not really someone to come up with (laughs) like kooky ideas for no reason. Um, And so at that point I had decided that I would try a ketogenic diet for two months, very strict. Um, And if it didn't work, then I would be no worse off than where I was. I mean, I tried calorie restriction a billion times. (laughs) And so another thing not working would not exactly be new to me. Um, And if it did work, then I would just stick with it forever (laughs) because (laughs) I mean, (laughs) if it works, then going back to what I was doing previously would probably get me back to where I was, was kind of my logic. Um, And so at the two month mark, I had gone down, I think about 20 pounds, um, which was not insignificant, but along that time, it was also a lot of like, okay, any minute now it's going to stop working. I'm going to gain it all back. Like all the other times, like any, like checking my watch, like, okay, maybe tomorrow, I'll start regaining. But the other thing that happened was that I suddenly realized that I felt very weird in terms of mental space. And by that, I meant like I was, I had to like think about it for a minute (laughs) because it was so unusual. And what it was, was that I was content with my life and I was grateful for my family and like pleased with my job and like all this type of stuff. And I had to come to the realization that I wasn't depressed anymore. And it wasn't the weight loss because that's a question that comes up. Well, maybe it just got better because you were losing weight. I had lost weight before. (laughs) So I don't think that's what it was, especially now. um, If I accidentally eat things that aren't keto, like flowers and stuff like that, that can sometimes be in sauces at restaurants it'll trigger mood symptoms again, not as bad as they were previously, but things like anxiety and rumination over events that are very unreasonable. (laughs) Um, And when you have depression for basically a decade, 
Um, like I did you, or at least I got into the habit of psychoanalyzing myself of, I know something is wrong and I'm mm -hmm. having this reaction to this event. Is this reaction actually reasonable? Is, does it make sense given the context of what happened? And so I continue to do that even now. And so I'll sometimes catch myself of like, wait, this, this, the way that I'm reacting does not make sense for what happened or what this person said. So what have I been eating lately? <laughs> uh, um, and sometimes it'll come up that it was something I had a bad reaction to, or I haven't had enough sleep or things like that. Um, mm. So it's been kind of interesting. Um, so yeah, that was one of the major reasons like, okay, even if I gain all the weight back, I'm going to stick to this because I've never felt like this before. Like I probably did as a five-year-old, <laughs> not that I remember it very well, um, but not being depressed was a pretty big deal. Yeah. And there were some things that were not like immediately fixed after the two month period. There was social anxiety that I think was more habit-based, like mm -hmm. with depression, you second guess everything you're doing and that can cause a lot of anxiety. And then it kind of feeds into the depression. So that was actually something I had to work through just with practice. Um, and where I actually started with it was my first keto conference. <laughs> um, I would practice going up to people and asking questions and having conversations with them and realize that the feedback I was getting back from them was actually, they were happy to talk to me. They were having fun. Everyone is having fun. Everything is great. Um, so that took a little while, but it was made a lot easier <laughs> by the fact that I had a more realistic perspective of my interactions with people. Um, there were some other things as well. Um, I had developed PTSD a long time ago from things I won't get into, um, but a ketogenic diet definitely helped a lot um, and made it so it wasn't like a daily interference into my life, but I did still have issues. <laughs> and it was actually um, around a certain time period that was associated with things that happened. Um, I had gone into my doctor's office and he asked how I was doing and I started crying. <laughs> it was like, okay, uh, something is uh, up. Um, and so we kind of half talked about it, not talked about it in specifics. And he actually referred me to a trauma counselor um, and that helped okay. clear up the remnants of things. So I mentioned those things because with mental health, it can kind of sometimes come up as an all or nothing thing, but sometimes you can have like fragments of things that sure. need other tools to fix them. Um, yeah. And then in terms of health, <laughs> um, so I've been on a ketogenic diet um, almost six years at this point. Um, and over that period of time, I've lost 80 pounds. I no longer have metabolic syndrome. Um, all of my health markers have pretty much normalized. <laughs> um, I feel fantastic. I no longer have eczema. Like, <laughs> let me get my list. <laughs> no longer have high blood pressure. Um, no longer have chronic pain. Um, and then one of the things that actually happened last year is that I was diagnosed with a condition called lipedema, um, which is a loose connective tissue disorder because fat is a type of loose connective tissue basically. And what that does is it causes disproportionate fat growth. And then once that fat grows, um, if the condition is not well managed, then it can also scar over. 
and then it makes it really, really difficult to get rid of um, because the function of fat depends on it being able to interact with the rest of the body. And if right. it's just encapsulated in this thick scar tissue, just like if you get scarring on your joints, it won't work as well. Yeah. Um, but luckily from what I've noticed, I haven't had any progression since I've been on a ketogenic diet, which is really significant. Um, except for one occasion where I did a high carb experiment before I knew I had the condition. <laughs> and oh. then I gained 10 pounds that, um, well, I gained 17 pounds. I was able to lose seven, but 10 of it never came off. And mm. when I did a follow-up body composition scan, it seems like that was actually in, um, areas where I have lipedema. So it seems like I might've gained the fat and then it's scarred over, unfortunately. Um, but another aspect that can come with lipedema is actually pain. Um, one of its other, sometimes it's referred to as a painful fat disorder. And that's because, um, it is very painful and it's not like a muscle pain. It's not a skin pain. It's actually pain of the fat. And when wow. you, put pressure on the fat, it's very sore and it can cause like a lingering sharp stinging ache or dull ache, things like that. Um, and when I went to get diagnosed, <laughs> they had this intake form um, before I even went to the office where it was at. And for a lot of the questions I had to like click an answer, but then they had like this box for a little bit more information. And for everyone I had like a lot of them, it was like, no, and it's like, but before a ketogenic diet, it used to be a lot worse or before a ketogenic diet I did. Um, so it seems like for me, a ketogenic diet has been really helpful for lipedema symptoms. And I didn't even know it until I was diagnosed. Um, and that's not actually something unique to me. There have been, um, case studies and pilot studies and thousands of anecdotes at this point of oh, people good. with lipedema, um, who do find ketogenic diets useful. So that was a nice bonus <laughs> to add to yeah. a lot of the other effects that I had. Wow. Yeah. So it's been a big journey and it's still ongoing um, because with the lipedema, um, it doesn't seem to be progressing, but I would like to reduce the amount of scar tissue that I have in the fat because I appreciate my fat and the work that it does. And I want it to be able to do its best. <laughs> um, but that's a whole process in itself because scar tissue anywhere is just difficult to get rid of. Um, but it's just a process of experimenting and see like what feels like is helping and what isn't and just keep trying things. I mean, I've been doing that <laughs> while on a ketogenic diet anyway, it's always been a process of, okay, try this, see if it helps, yeah. try this, like a lot of tweaking. Um, it wasn't just like I went on a ketogenic diet and everything was fixed. <laughs> it was like, I went on a ketogenic diet and then I tried fasting and then I tried an egg fast and then I tried carnivore, which um, I switched over to about a year into a ketogenic diet. And then I tried high fat carnivore. <laughs> so it's like, there's, I think a lot of people experience that and they hope that they'll just make one change and they'll be good to go from there. And some people definitely do experience that. But if you have a lot of health issues, sometimes it is a case of like trying to identify foods you're sensitive to, trying to find like what your body feels best with all that type right. of stuff. And luckily it, I've never been discouraged by that. I like to experiment anyway. <laughs> um, so it's always been kind of interesting to me to see different things working and then try and figure out why they work. Like at this point I've done, I think like 
four presentations on lipedema and oh, wow. um, ketogenic diets and carnivorous diets and how that all plays into each other. Um, I just become obsessed over things if I find them interesting. Well, it's very helpful to have, um, yeah, people like you, the citizen scientists, as they say, to, um, because a lot of this stuff ha probably hasn't been explored. I mean, it's really fairly recently that people were just trying to low fat, you know, low calorie diets and really in the last, um, you know, especially the last decade, certainly it's exploding, um, but there probably isn't a lot of data out there with um, some of these real specific things, I would imagine. Yeah, and if you just go to like PubMed <laughs> and search for lipedema and then look at the timeline little widget that they have on the side, you can see this explosion of lipedema papers over the past year or two, which is really okay. great because lipedema itself was only identified in the 1940s, which means compared to a lot of things like diabetes and heart disease and things like that, it's very young. Um, so we're still trying to figure things out about it. We're trying to figure out what it is, why it happens, why the symptoms happen, how we can help with the symptoms. Um, and the more research that we have, particularly in terms of pathophysiology, so how the disease works, the better we can create new strategies. Um, so there's already a ton available for lipedema, like it comes with swelling, so you can use, um, like compression gear and pneumatic pumps and oh, activity yeah. to help encourage the fluid out of the tissue, things yeah. like that. Um, there's psychological treatment that can be used because with any chronic condition, it can be very disheartening and difficult, especially because sure. lipedema can come with anti-fat bias. Um, right. So I've experienced that myself where people have been like, you've been on a ketogenic diet for so-and-so years. Why are you still fat? It's like, first of all, <laughs> improving your health is not an easy thing in the first place. Um, so sometimes it can take a long time. Sometimes there is damage that can take a long time to recover from. I mean, if you look at people who are in Berta who are using ketogenic diets to reverse diabetes, um, like Sarah Holberg has commented in some cases, it takes years for them to come off of diabetic medication, especially if they've been oh, yeah. diabetic for a very long time. So yeah. just that aside is not actually a legitimate thing. It's a good question, <laughs> but um, it's complicated is the answer. But the other aspect of it is like at this point, in terms of how much functional fat I have when I was diagnosed, um, she said like, it looks like the amount of healthy fat you have is about 25% body fat. So mm -hmm. the rest of that above that is lipidemic fat that is scarred over and it's incredibly difficult to lose. So the answer to your question is because I have a chronic condition <laughs> that prevents me from losing the excess that I have. And like, even people who are just have typical obesity, like that's going to be the answer. If they have a chronic condition that is making it harder for them to lose fat. And so that's not something to judge people for. <laughs> like it is difficult and like people don't want to be unhealthy. They want to be in a body that they can be happy with. And like, it's just silly to me <laughs> that that's the criticism that wow. gets lodged. Well, that's well said. And plus, honestly, looking at your um, after pictures, that's not how I would describe you anyway. You look great, but um, I'm sure you have little areas that you would prefer. And, but 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I have um, lipedema from shoulder to wrist. So if you look at my arm, there's a lot of fat on there. And if you feel it, you can actually feel the scar tissue in there. And then I also mm -hmm. have it um, from the lower abdomen down to my ankle. Um, mm -hmm. So if you actually look at my legs, if you look at my ankle, there's a little fat cuff there. Um, and that's caused by lipedema. It, um, the disordered fat stops at the ankle. So there's this sudden transition. So there's like a little ridge right mm -hmm. there. Um, and my limbs are definitely disproportionate to the rest of me, but it's part of the condition. So, and like I dress to kind of complement my body type. Um, yeah. So may not be completely obvious, especially if you don't know what lipedema is. Um, right. Right. But it's I definitely have known known from looking at your picture. Yeah. So you're, yeah. and you're probably a lot more sensitive about it than, um, you know, having been through all those, you know, different challenges and phases, but I thought you look great in your after picture. So you're wearing a nice dress and, uh, yeah, I'm definitely a lot happier with where I'm at. And, the other thing that has changed over the past almost six years, like I said, is that I have begun to view obesity and different things in a very different light. So when I first started, it was the disease of gluttony and sloth. I'm obese because I eat too much and I have no willpower, blah, blah, blah. But now I actually see it as a metabolic disorder. <laughs> so it's like I became obese because my body was sick and it wasn't that my body was like <laughs> trying to kill me or trying to make me sick, the symptoms that I were experiencing were most likely from my body trying to protect me from damage that was happening over the course of many years. And so now it's like, if I have a little bit of extra weight or scar tissue or whatever, it's like, that was my body trying to keep me alive. <laughs> so it's kind of oh, like battle scars. Thing. Yeah, that's yeah. a good positive thing, actually. Yeah, I know. So yeah, when you think about how people quickly regain the weight, you're right. If they've been only eating the 800 calories, their body's going to assume, you know, or that whatever it is, their survival instinct is going to assume that they run across periods of, of uh, where they can't find any food. They don't know that there's, you know, a McDonald's down the street on the corner and a Dunkin's over there, but it's going to store that fat for the next time they're, you know. Yeah. And if you still have a metabolic disorder underlying when you're switching from 800 calories to um, a more typical calorie amount for your size, then it's just, it's a problem. Like you still have this issue of using the fat that you have. And at that point you may have um, metabolic rate down regulation and all this different type of stuff. And then you're sick with this metabolic disorder on top of it. It's like, mm. of course, your body is going to struggle. That's a really difficult situation. Um, but at the same time, it's given me a lot of sympathy for my body because it's like, you've been trying your best. <laughs> We've both right. been trying our best. Um, and it's kind of a weird, like motivational self-talk kind of thing where I almost view it as like, a separate entity of like, I know what I need, or I think I do. <laughs> what do you need right now? Like, what do you need to do your best? How can I help you? Because clearly you're not doing this to be mean to me. Um, you're doing it because you're struggling just like I struggled. So let's kind of work together <laughs> on this. And it's kind of silly, but it's helped me a lot, especially when I've gone through periods where 
I was stuck and I didn't know what was wrong. Instead of just being like, oh, this is my fault. This is like me. This is, oh, I'm just going to be stuck this way forever type of thing. It's like, okay, let's investigate this. Like, let's see like what might be leading to this and kind of research a little bit more into things and try different stuff. And do we like this? No. Okay. Let's not do that. <laughs> so it's, it's a process, but it's helped me a lot because there was just so much of that in terms of a lot of diseases like diabetes and heart disease and like all this type of stuff. It's because you messed up. It's like, no, <laughs> like, sure. You were maybe not doing the right thing. And that made it very difficult for the body, but it's not something you did intentionally. You were given bad advice or you thought you were doing the right thing and it didn't work. Like if you knew the right thing to do, you would have done it. <laughs> like really? at least in my opinion, most people I come across, if they realize that they can reverse obesity or manage diabetes without medication or whatever, they will try and do that. <laughs> like, it's not like they're just lazy or trying to take shortcuts or whatever. A lot of the difficulty I see, though, is that like me, a lot of people have gone through a dozen, two dozen, three dozen different diets mm. or strategies mm. or holistic approaches. And if they haven't worked, that's really hurtful. Like it hurts a lot <laughs> to try and do something and it doesn't work. And yeah. the more you do it, the more it hurts. And then someone comes along and says, hey, you could try a ketogenic diet and it'll work. And it's like, yeah, I've heard that one before. <laughs> like, right. I don't want to be burned again. Like after a certain point, it, you start to become a little bit jaded and scared because it's like, I don't want to do another thing. That's just going to like, first of all, a lot of the time diets can be difficult and yeah. unpleasant. And I don't want to put myself through that again, if it's just going to end up like all the other times. So in that kind of situation, it can really help to provide additional support and be like, okay, when you're ready, or I know a bunch of other people where this has been helpful and they weren't hungry and it helped with a bunch of other health problems. It's something to consider. So kind of not pressuring until they're mentally ready because diet is <laughs> such a big thing. It's not, it is just food, but it's also not just food because there's religious aspects, there's cultural yeah. aspects, there's family tradition aspects. There's all these different things and it can be used to celebrate and to comfort. And all of those are good things. I think having a celebratory relationship with food is good. And it's something humans have been doing for a long time. <laughs> and even right. in other animals, you can see they get excited over certain foods and that's good. And food is supposed to be pleasurable, but if you are suddenly making this huge shift, it can make it even more difficult and Again, it's one of those things where more support, trying to figure out what type of person it is. Like for me, I just wanted to figure out what the rules were and then just jump yeah. right in. But for other people, that's super overwhelming. It's like, oh, I can't, I just, and they have to make like tiny steps or just focus on, okay, this makes me feel good. This does not make me feel good and not think about the rules at all. And just know generally where they're trying to aim for. Like I'm trying to be lower carb right now. So I know this is higher carb and I know this is lower carb than that. So I'll go for this thing <laughs> and just slowly transition in, but it's really individual. And yeah. I think it's another one of those things where it just helps to talk about it. Like you don't have to do it one way. Like you can personalize this for whatever works for you, whatever's less stressful for you. 
because that's what you want. <laughs> you want an intervention that's going to be less stressful and gets easier over time. So you're not fighting against hunger. You're not feeling deprived. And part of that is what you're eating and how much you're eating. And another part of it is just your mindset in relation to it. Um, so you could think like, oh, I can't have potatoes, bread, whatever, whatever. But you could also think I can actually have whatever I want, but I'm choosing not to pick those right now. And actually what I want and sounds really good to me right now is a steak or some keto chicken Parmesan or whatever. And one trick that I actually used very early on was I worked in an office environment and people would bring in food like bagels, like muffins, oh, yeah. all that type yeah. of stuff. And I would like think about it. And one aspect was I already knew that I was using a ketogenic diet to manage depression. So every option I would weigh, like, is that worth <laughs> depression yeah. symptoms coming back or my mood becoming less stable or whatever? Um, and the other aspect was I would look at it and I would be like, okay, well, if I still want that when I get home from work today, I'll make a keto version of it. And then I'm not depriving myself. I'm still having a muffin, a bagel, a whatever. And it's just a different version of it. And it's no different than having like a blueberry muffin compared to a banana muffin. It's not like I'm specifically craving the flour, like the wheat flour, whatever. I'm craving the texture or the taste or whatever. And like 80% of the time when I got home, I was like, I don't really want to go through the effort of making that. So I'll just eat like some pork or something. Um, but right. it helped a lot because it was just a mindset thing of I can actually do whatever I want because I have a very rebellious mindset and I don't like being told what to do, even right. if it's being told what to do by me. <laughs> okay. So it's like, I am not forcing myself to do anything. I'm making choices and it's my choice. And do I really want to eat that thing knowing what it's probably going to do? And another aspect of that was that my manager at that office was very supportive once he understood why I was doing what I was doing. So often when we had finished a big project or did very well, he would have like an ice cream social for the office. And he would ask me what I wanted. It's like, I really don't <laughs> want that. He was like, couldn't you have like just a little to celebrate? And I was like, no, I really can't. And there was a little bit of pushback for a little further. And I was like, look, <laughs> if I eat that, my mood is going to get worse. My joint pain is going to come back. I'm going to feel awful. And you're going to have to put up with that. And everyone in this office is going to have to put up with that. Why don't we just compromise and you get me a um americano with heavy cream i would be super wow. happy with that and it'll let me celebrate with everybody else and that's what he did from that point on wow um, great but sometimes it was just a case of like really having to explain like i am actually using this as a therapeutic diet and if i go off plan it's like going off medication <laughs> so i really right. do not want to do that um and at that point they were then understanding it's like okay we're not gonna <laughs> <laughs> like encourage you to go off Push of the ice cream well that's good yeah wow good answers that's great yeah and it probably also helps that I've always been a little bit of a weirdo so <laughs> like being a weirdo in a dietary sense whatever like if people think oh. I'm weird they're free to have their opinions but at least I'm feeling good <laughs> at least I'm enjoying my life um and I don't typically worry about it like 
in restaurants and stuff like that, I've noticed some people can be very uncomfortable with saying, oh, I don't want the sides. I don't want the bread, like no bread, like let whatever. And I think that's become less, especially because a lot of restaurants have more low carb options and low carb is becoming more well-known. But I'll like when on a restaurant, I'll just be like, I don't want plants. I don't eat plants. Like, don't give me plants. <laughs> and they'll be like, okay, so like, so you want like a letter that that is a plant <laughs> do not give me plants I will not eat them um and they probably think that's weird on some level but also like their job is just to figure out what I want anyway so I'm helping them by being right. upfront and not confusing them well it probably still confuses them but <laughs> it goes a lot quicker than trying to avoid saying what I actually want and I'm just too impatient <laughs> and I again I don't care about being weird um and some people do, and it's very awkward, and that's also fine. Again, it's another individualized thing. Some people really do feel better saying, oh, just put it on the side, or, oh, you know, or just taking it as it is and then taking the bun off. It's just like your comfort level and what makes you feel best and not dread going to restaurants. I just think it's funny, so. <laughs> mm -hmm. If it works for you, it works. I think restaurants have become very used to people having different needs, different allergies, different preferences. So it, it is getting, I think, easier at restaurants. Uh, yeah, although absolutely. I think they all use like canola oil in the back or. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Um, I, I don't know. Like I try to pick things where they probably won't. Um, like weirdly when I travel, my best option is often McDonald's because I know people who've worked there. It's like, no, they cook the meat only in their own fat. They only add yeah. salt and pepper. So it's like, okay. So I can order burger patties wherever I am. <laughs> There's almost yeah. certainly going to be a McDonald's. Um, some restaurants is a little bit more sketchy and I honestly just don't eat at restaurants that much anymore um, because it's a bit of a gamble. Like at one point I have this whole routine or I used to, I don't do it anymore. Um, but I would have this whole routine of, can I have a side of butter? Yes. Okay. Is it real butter? Like yeah. not margarine? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's real. Butter. Are you sure? Can you check for me? Um, and at one point I went through that whole routine at a restaurant and then they bring me the butter and it's, it appears to be real butter. Um, and I eat a whole bunch of it because I eat higher fat and then afterwards they're like oh we gave you honey butter it's like oh wow so then <laughs> i was up all that night with oh, no. joint pain it's like i am bringing oh. my own butter to restaurants i do yeah. not trust them anymore i yeah. am not putting up with this anymore because that is a really unpleasant and aggravating and so now i just have like a brick of carry gold i slam it on the table and it's like <laughs> don't rely on you anymore just bring me the meat yeah. i got i've got the butter covered that's funny well yeah a lot of places do have strange uh blends of that's 50 50 or something so it is yeah. it is a gamble yeah to know if they're yeah gonna and for me like if i were able to eat eat that stuff and it didn't really cause a reaction i would probably take the risk and not worry too much about it but because I have such strong reactions to it in terms of yeah. mood, in terms of joint pain, in terms of like lipedema related pain, right. I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> like it's easy enough to bring my own butter and they genuinely do not care. Um, right. One, <laughs> one waiter tried to carry away the rest of my carry gold oh. with the dirty dishes <laughs> and stuff. I was like, no, 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 that's mine. <laughs> you can't take that. I need that. 
but it's yeah. I don't know it's so funny in a lot of ways and it's just like there are places I'm willing to compromise and other places where it's just not worth it anymore um and I know other people like that too where it's like I just straight up won't eat at restaurants because the stuff that they use on the grill will upset my stomach or cause flare-ups of whatever stuff it's mm-hmm. like but some people can tolerate it perfectly fine and they're like oh I eat restaurants all the time especially because they travel for work or whatever and it's like experience yeah. helps a lot in terms of what you can handle and what your body can handle um, in terms right. of how sensitive you are right all right so what um projects are you working on um these days what's what's oh, in gee. the works you said you've Should just done a list? bunch of oh. <laughs> well what's, um, what's kind of your priority uh, that you're looking at so i own my own company so that's a big <laughs> oh. a big um time investment and then i'm also still looking into stuff like cholesterol and the immune system and insulin resistance in the immune system and how those intersect Um, And then also another thing that I've been working on is um, I've been added to the board of directors for uh, the Lipedema Project, which Uh focuses on research into lipedema and um, other related stuff like lipedema and ketogenic diets. So I've been doing a lot of that, reading (laughs) dozens and dozens and dozens of paper papers Mm -hmm. on lipedema and um, ketones and hypoxia. Uh, like low oxygen in the tissue, which we can see in lipedema. And um, there also seems to be some sort of connective tissue component of lipedema. So I'm looking into how (laughs) connective tissue works um, and a lot of that type of stuff. And then also reading um, a new book actually just came out about lipedema. It's kind of like a clinician's guide. So I've been reading through that and taking a bunch of notes. And I'm also working on some projects with them as well. Um, so <laughs> a lot of lipidema related stuff, and then okay. a lot of insulin resistance and inflammation and stuff like that is always super interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. just because it's, I mean, it affects pretty much everyone in the U S at this point. Yeah. Um, and there's just a lot of interesting stuff in there, <laughs> a lot of, um, interesting mechanisms, interesting pathology, and then tempting ideas of little things we can do and how ketogenic diets might be working and stuff like that. So a lot of, a lot of, uh, researching, I guess <laughs> is what I find fun. Okay. It's, it's a lot like puzzle solving, I think like, yeah. and the thing with me is I'll get this question of, in some cases it was like, what is lipedema? which was my question at the beginning of last year. And I just have this whiteboard (laughs) in my office that's just like a body that I drew and then pointing out where lipedema happens and then little points that I found in the research and then just finding follow-up questions. And like, if I try to set it aside for a while, it'll just pop up again and again, like, but what about this? But what about that? But like, what about the scar tissue? Why does that happen? Why does the pain happen? Why does this help with the pain? And it'll just keep bugging me. <laughs> like mm. I've said a couple of times, it's like I get bugs in my brain and I just have to like hunt down the answer or at least get to a point where I feel it's a dead end for the time being. And then I can set it aside. Um, but like I said, I get obsessive over things <laughs> and I'll just like dog them. And there are some topics that I've been doing that for three, four years at this point. 
because um, there's just so much to discover about them. But it's a lot of fun, um, especially when you find out things that can be applied to actual human beings. <laughs> and then there was this point where they were struggling and then you can implement this thing and then all of a sudden it helps. And it's like, oh, all that <laughs> hours and hours and hours I spent was actually worth something. <laughs> Great. Now, are you going to be speaking at Keto Fest this year? Yes, I am. Um, I'll oh. actually be talking about lipedema. So it'll kind of be okay. like a magnum opus <laughs> presentation because like I said, I've done about four different presentations and I'll be combining multiple of them for this one. Um, so one aspect will be a working model of what is happening with lipedema and then also how ketogenic diets can help. Um, so the actual mechanisms wow. of how it might be helping. And also going through an important aspect, which is what does lipedema look like and how do we differentiate it from obesity? Because that's commonly what it's misdiagnosed as. Um, and there's just like a couple things like the cuffing I mentioned before in the presence of the scar tissue that you can feel that you can look for. And it was like, oh, that's me. <laughs> like every conference I go to at this point, I'll talk about lipedema because I'm thinking about it a lot. And inevitably one or two people will go, um, wait <laughs> hold on <laughs> that might be me actually and okay. I'll just like go up to people and be like feel my arm do you feel that on yourself anywhere um and wow. <laughs> like oh and then I'll give them a card that directs them to the lipedema project oh, of like great. okay you can follow up here um but yeah it's definitely something I'm super interested in because it's kind of weird I like weird stuff <laughs> well you are obviously like um very happy and, and um, bubbly. So it's just really good to see. <laughs> I don't think I ever would have been described <laughs> that way before. Um, but yeah, I have a lot of fun with my life in general, um, not just like the research stuff and the work that I'm doing for my company and the work that I'm doing with my colleague, Dave, but just like hiking and enjoying Boulder, which is where I live and mm -hmm. enjoying my cat who's sitting behind me um and enjoying the food that I eat and yeah a lot of different stuff and just continuing to experiment and improve on things um one interesting thing I guess is that I actually developed an egg allergy uh at the end of 2017 so it was adult onset and wow. it was this whole process of getting diagnosed because I had gone through like I knew something was making me sick like acutely sick whenever I ate certain things and so I ended up taking something I knew I would react to and separate out the ingredients and start mm -hmm. trying them one by one. And it was like, okay, definitely eggs is a problem. So I went to my doctor at the time and I was like, I think I have an egg allergy. Can you refer me to an allergist so that I can confirm this? And he was like, well, if you suspect you have an egg allergy, you could just not eat them. It's <laughs> <was> like, okay, <laughs> but first of all, I want to know what I'm dealing with. Also, I want it on the record so that if I reverse okay. it, nobody can say I didn't. Uh, okay. There um, you go. And so I did get that confirmed and it was an IgE egg white allergy. And for a couple of years, it's like, okay, sometimes allergies can spontaneously reverse if you just avoid the thing for a while. So that was about two years of that. Uh, that didn't work. And so I started trying different things like very long fasts. Um, I fasted for seven days at one point because I'd heard fasting over like three days or something could reset the immune system. Um, mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I'll try that, whatever. That didn't work. Um, 
And eventually at the beginning of this year, I was talking to my current doctor um, and I was like, I think, I think I'm going to try just increasing tolerance because right after I had been diagnosed, I started reading through immunology textbooks. Um, and that's one of the things they said you can sometimes do is you can get shots of the allergen um, right. in very teeny tiny doses and then slowly increase. Um, and they said, sometimes it makes better. Sometimes it makes it worse. It's like, okay, <laughs> context might be important. Um, and at that point I was in probably the best health that I had ever been in. So I felt pretty good that that was a good environment to start work on it. Um, mm -hmm. And originally I had been planning on doing uh, gel caps of, filled with egg white powder because it okay. seems like if I could get it past my mouth, <laughs> then oh. it wouldn't cause as much of a reaction. Um, oh. And I had noticed that with things like uh, keto ice cream, where it would be frozen when it hit my mouth and then obviously would melt in my stomach, but it wouldn't cause a reaction. But if I waited until the ice cream melted, it would start a reaction in my mouth and then I'd start getting allergic reaction like systemically. So it's like, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, but I just found that I was kind of forgetful about it. <laughs> so I wasn't being very consistent with it. And I knew at that point that like the ice cream was tolerable, but I didn't want to eat ice cream all the time. Um, but I also knew that hard boiled eggs were also more tolerable. And mm. I figured it was probably because they're cooked so thoroughly that the protein is denatured and right. the way that the immune cells recognize the allergen is by the protein. So if you kind of change its shape, it's like sneaking it past them. <laughs> um, so mm. it's like, okay, maybe that'll be helpful. And the main thing I wanted to know is if I would have any reaction to it, because I needed to have some reaction because basically what I wanted to do is eat like just below where it would cause a reaction, wait a little bit, and then increase to slowly mm -hmm. like increase my tolerance over time. Cause that's basically what they do with yeah, so it's do it yourself immunology though. Yeah. <laughs> DIY. Um, <laughs> and of course I talked to my doctor about the whole tolerance thing anyway. And he was like, yeah, that sounds legit. Let me know if you want a pen on hand. It's like, okay, thanks. <laughs> um, and the allergy that I have is not deadly anyway. Yeah. So I felt yeah. kind of comfortable experimenting with it. Um, if it were causing like anaphylaxis, I probably right. would have gone. That'd be different. Option. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would have wanted a lot more medical supervision. Mm -hmm. um, so I started figuring out where my upper limit was with hard boiled eggs. And I went from one hard boiled egg, A-okay, two, A-okay, three. Nope. Then I started getting nauseous and started oh. getting symptoms and feeling really hot and sweating and stuff like that. So it's like, okay, three is my upper tolerable limit. Let's try two and a half. <laughs> and that was fine. So it's like, okay, two and a half is my upper tolerable limit that will not induce symptoms, but above that it will. So that's where mm -hmm. I want to be at. So I would eat two and a half hard boiled eggs. I would wait a couple of days and then I would eat two and a half and then I would wait. And then eventually I would go up to three and then I would wait and see uh -huh. what happened. It's like, okay, no symptoms. We're in the clear. And then I would do three again after a break of a couple of days and just keep doing that. Um, and I kept doing that up until uh, I got to six hard boiled eggs in a setting with no symptoms. Wow. <laughs> Plus you were really full too, right? <laughs> yeah, that was actually the problem because I realized I wouldn't be able to go above that because yeah. I would just get too full. So it's like, yeah. okay, well, now there needs to be a phase two. Um, 
And there were some like hips up hiccups with that because I took breaks occasionally. I was busy and didn't really want to focus on it, or I was doing fat fasting for a different thing I was doing. So that would be like three day gaps and I'd have the eggs right after. Um, but regardless, I got up to that point. It's like, okay, phase two. <laughs> so um, about um, three weeks ago, maybe I started with scrambled eggs um, because those are slightly less cooked than hard boiled eggs. And previously I would have a reaction if I even took like a couple bites of it. So I knew okay. that was a better bet <laughs> for the next phase. Oh. Um, and so I started with quail eggs actually, because then I could get down to a half egg, like the equivalent uh -huh. of a half egg. Um, and then I got up to the equivalent of a full chicken egg. And then now uh, for breakfast, actually, I just had six scrambled eggs. <laughs> and what I'm doing that. with scrambled eggs actually <laughs> is I emulsify them in with a lot of butter. And okay. so the six, the six scrambled eggs was like, oh my God, I'm so full. It's like, yeah. okay, we need to move on to phase three. Um, so the next phase is probably going to be uh, over easy or poached. Cause again, it's a step down mm -hmm. in how cooked they are. And then the final phase will just be raw egg white and egg white powder. Oh dear. And then I'll be done. <laughs> <laughs> you lost me on that part. No. <laughs> well, it's for science. But hopefully it's not it something, works. Yeah, it's not something I would typically do, but yeah, I, yeah. the main concern is I don't want to, I want to make sure that any form of egg is okay because eggs um, are in a lot of stuff. They're in, <laughs> like they're in a lot eggnog, of stuff. Uh, meatballs. And if you're cooking the meatballs to like a medium right. rare, the egg white in the center may not be fully cooked, things like that. And I just don't want to have any more reactions. And I want to yeah. see if I can fully reverse the allergy because that would be yeah. fun. Yeah. So that you're not <laughs> um, having symptoms of and causing inflammation if you eat something with eggs in it. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my end goal. So I'm about halfway through. Um, and this has been a little bit over three months that this has happened over. Um, so that's okay. pretty exciting. <laughs> and, um, I just sent my doctor an email, like, how do I, like, after I'm through all of these phases, how do I tell if I still have an egg allergy? <laughs> like, is there a uh -huh. protocol for this? Right. Um, is there a test? Yeah. So Ooh, I should be, be able, test. there is a blood test. The only thing I'm not sure about is if I would have to like, have to eat eggs beforehand to make sure Ooh. it would be present. Um, and if so, how many eggs and probably what I'll try and see, uh, if I can do is get, do the exact same thing that happened when I got diagnosed, which was a skin prick test for egg whites, which is a wheel test. Okay. Uh -huh. They stick you with the allergen and then they look yep. to see if you get like this allergic reaction to it. Um, and then immediately after get a blood test. And okay. if I don't have a reaction to any of those, I think I'll be safe in the assumption that I no longer have the allergy. Um, right now, I think I still do, but I'm only halfway through and it's a big process, <laughs> but it's something I've been having a lot of fun with because man, oh man, have I missed eggs <laughs> and they make higher fat so much easier, especially scrambled yeah. eggs because you can just like, they suck up so much fat. <laughs> like I had uh, three eggs with um, about three tablespoons of butter. And it's like, it just, where did it go? I have no idea. Mm -hmm. The only thing I know is these eggs are super filling. Um, and then the other thing is there's so many fun things you can do with eggs. Like Maria Emmerich has um, her original recipe of like a entirely egg-based bread. 
Um, and then the original recipe, you add the yolks back in, which is probably what I'll do. And then with that, you can do like eggs Benedict, you can like holiday sauce, like a whole bunch of different things. So like, I haven't felt deprived on carnivore, but I love eggs and they add so much, so many options, especially because I like to eat higher fat. And if Mm -hmm. you can have sauces, um, that are fatty, it increases your options, like have some salmon, put some hollandaise sauce on there, done. Um, and (laughs) there are plenty of dairy based sauces also, but the only dairy that I can really tolerate is butter. The rest will cause like acne and weight gain and a whole bunch of stuff, but maybe that'll be my next project. (laughs) Oh, there you go. That'll be tricky. Well, there, I wonder if you've ever tried the A2 where I have, and it seems to do the same thing. I don't know what's causing the reaction exactly. That would probably be the first step. That could be, yeah, your next experiment to figure that out because a lot of us could use that information and and I think a lot of people have dairy allergies. Allergies, weirdly. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be super popular. Super Um, popular. (laughs) But allergies almost seem simpler in a way because you know what you're dealing with. With the dairy sensitivity that a lot of people seem to have it doesn't seem to be an allergy but I don't know what it is some sort of intolerance um but it pops up all the time and it's come up as long as I've been in the keto community like are you experiencing weight loss stalls are you eating nuts are you eating dairy like those two specifically come up all the time and it's like why (laughs) why those two things and it's clearly not the fat content of dairy like that's something that's been proposed like the fat content of those two things Because if people subtract those, but keep to a very high fat diet, it seems to be fine. Like that's pretty much what I did is I took dairy out, which was my most common fat source and just swapped it for butter, which I tolerated much better and lost weight. It's like, okay. okay. (laughs) So clearly it's not the fat, maybe it's the protein or the lactose Mm -hmm. or some other thing that's in there. Right. But I'm wondering if I can maybe do the same tolerance increase of just take a teeny tiny amount of some sort of dairy I know I don't tolerate and then slowly increase it over time. That would be so exciting. Right. Right. (laughs) But I'll try it and see. The problem is if I have a little bit of dairy, it can trigger dairy cravings (laughs) and cause dairy binging. Um, But if it's for an experiment, I could maybe fight past it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or like immediately eat something else that'll short circuit the dairy cravings. Um, we'll see. But what happened? If I could get dairy and eggs back, I'll be a very happy person. I bet. I bet. Well, listen. Where can people find you if they want to follow you? Um, I'm mostly on Twitter, um, which is okay. Siobhan underscore Huggins. I would recommend you put that in the show notes because my first name is hard to spell okay. unless you're from Ireland. Right. right. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm also on Facebook. You can just look up my name, uh, look for my face on there. You'll find me. Um, okay. And then uh, I'll also be doing lots of work with the Lipedema Project. Oh. So I'm in their Facebook groups and with their events. So that's a lot of what I'm doing in terms of public facing stuff right now. And you can also find me at Keto Fest. I will be there and having lots of fun. <laughs> All right, great. So takeaways, phrase your choices in a positive way, find a way of eating that makes you feel full and satisfied, 
and try to be an observer of your habits and feelings. I think Siobhan and her low-carb scientist friends will be contributing to the science we need to figure out cholesterol. We already know that eating fat doesn't make you fat, but what do cholesterol levels really mean? How do they affect your health? Keep an eye on Siobhan and her associate, Dave Feldman, if you want to learn more. I would highly recommend the live stream of KetoFest if you can't attend. I'm sure there will be quite a few interesting talks and cooking demos. So that is July 16th in New London, Connecticut, or at KetoFest.com. And you can see Siobhan's talk. Thanks for listening. Take a small step. See you next week.